Welcome back to another episode of A Spirited Debate. I'm Fad Thor, and for the next hour, I will be your host and moderator. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Big Mac, Hoss, and The Grinch, as we have a drink, or several, and debate another tasty topic for your listening pleasure. If you like what you hear, please smash that follow button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell you get your podcasts. In fact, if you don't like what you hear, do yourself a favor and smash that follow button anyway. Because let's be honest, you may not be into this week's topic, but who knows what tomorrow brings. You might just wake up and realize you suddenly have good taste. And as always, feel free to drop us a line and let us know what topics you'd like us to debate. Now, as our sound guy cues up the music, grab yourself a delicious beverage, sit back, relax, and join us for another Spirited Debate. Because no, I no, can always spin that wasn't my point. Just <laughs> <laughs> So, quantum uh, physics. Look here, look here, uh, Brett Michaels. We're, in the, uh, we're just exploring my inner demons here. You wouldn't have been quite as polite when you left the internet. No. I mean, if need be, we can start a GoFundMe yeah. page for you. This is where we lack comparative knowledge, Max. Damn, dude, three hours later. Others actually want to watch some people play. Steve reference Rick and Morty. <laughs> I will do my editing, don't you worry. That's fantastic. <laughs> Welcome, gentlemen, to another episode of Spirited Debate. How are we all doing tonight? Great. Awesome, as always. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good as always. It's been a rough week, but hopefully we're coming to a close. We will see how everything falls out. Good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. But it, it has been a lot. What, what's, what's below the I have three? Yes. All yeah. Right, that's what you I'm don't thinking. scare me. I have three daughters. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, and all in their 20s. Even though this doesn't look like it, it's true. Um, I like how I did that. Nobody can see us because we only post the audio, but that's all right. And you were just gesturing to your old face. That's all. That's it. Your ugly mug. We got it. You cover it with that beard. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into it. We will waste nobody's time. Uh, We have a special occasion tonight. We actually have a a special guest on our show. Uh, The guest for today's episode, for all of you who don't know, is a 20-year veteran of the film industry, current executive director of Film Tampa Bay and the film commissioner for Hillsborough County. He is none other than Tyler Martin Olich. Welcome, sir. How are we doing? Hey, good evening, guys. Woo-hoo. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, Happy to be here. I don't know about the other nerds in the group, but I've been excited for a week knowing that this was coming. So I, I don't know why. Why was I nervous? But uh, Because it's awesome. It's cool. He's our first guest. Yes. Um, and we all love film, and he's a film buff. Um, so, yeah, well, do we exciting. know that? Do we know that for sure? I mean, I'm, I'm wearing a... A big Lebowski shirt. There you go. All right. Perfect. All right. So we're already tracking good. So, you know, just a little bit throughout your career, you've specialized in providing production services, management and line producing for both feature and commercial projects to include Tim Burton's Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which I believe was filmed here. Part of it was, yeah. I read those books, by the way. Did you? I know it got collapsed into one movie, but I actually read those books. And I had so much respect for you before you opened your mouth. I, yeah, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> books are good. Books you know, yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what, Grinch, you're like an onion. You just yeah, yeah. So just layers, layers. The other part that surprised me was you did for Nat Geo the right stuff, which I have actually just started watching on Disney Plus. I didn't know. So, what exactly did you do for them? So, uh, now you're putting me on the spot. I don't remember the episode or I think it's episode four was shot partially in, in Hillsborough County. So the, the scene where they're meeting the press for the first time and they're, they're going into the hotel lobby and then there's a, a drunken bar scene and some other neat things that happen in the episode. That was all shot downtown Tampa. 
Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I just saw that and on the list and I'm like, holy shit, he did something for right stuff. And I'm watching that currently. Okay. I did something um, for Tiger, Tiger King too. I don't normally put it on my resume, but that also shot him down. Yes. Uh, I, you should be proud, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody watched it. I bench watched it. I you know, I didn't watch the shit out of it. Yep. And then you did do commercial work for clients like JP Morgan, Ford, Nissan, Louis Vuitton, Coca-Cola, Budweiser, which we, of course, will not promote here because we have better standards than Budweiser. But that's okay. That's neither here nor there with, with what you've done. But thank you. Thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate you taking time out yeah, of your do. busy, busy schedule. Enjoy. Hey, this is a lot show. more fun than what's been going on the rest of this week. So uh, I'm uh, happy to be here. Or this year. I got to imagine. Year, yeah. yeah. So again, not wasting any time. I want to jump right into the drinks because I want to get to the questions that we wanted for you in interviewing. So you are the guest of the show tonight. So we're going to start with you in terms of what you're drinking. What did you bring to the table tonight? Well, normally I'm a whiskey guy regardless, but you put me on the spot when you said bring something or a cocktail from a movie. So uh, I'm not a mixed drink guy. I just like straight liquor. So tonight I went with um, Suntory Habiki 17 Year, which was the drink from Lost in Translation. You guys watched that. Bill the, Murray. Uh, the, the Bill Murray uh, whiskey that he was stumping for in the beginning of the movie. Okay. And, and, am, and am, I, am I mistaken or am I correct in saying that brought Scarlett Johansson really onto the scene? I know it, it's, yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't her first film by any means, but it was the one that people started taking note of. I think she was only 17 when that started, uh, film. Yeah, started. yeah. I mean, I, I guess I don't want to be all creeper now that you said she was 17. But <laughs> yeah. The bunch uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said 17, I was like, oh, shit. You know what? I, I respect her as a profession. <laughs> Shock therapy. Uh, so lost in she's married now anyway, so yeah. she's yeah. Lost in Translation, Sophia Coppola, director. Uh won an Oscar for that, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um screen well, I think it was screenplay. Screenplay, yeah. Screenplay, yep. Yeah. Good movie. Bill Murray fan, especially when he gets killed in Zombie Land. I mean breaks my heart, but uh Don't get married. Yes, right. <laughs> All right, so let's move around the table. Grinch, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, yeah, I, I am drinking. Uh, I, I mentioned I was going to bust this glass back out, but it is uh, it is the glass that Deckard is using in Blade Runner, uh, the first one. Now, is it and the actual glass? It is. It is. Harrison oh, okay. Ford, so he's there's actually DNA. Still, there. uh, <laughs> and I'll never watch it because of that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, obviously uh, it's a replica of that glass. And some Blanton's neat because oh, you did it. You you pulled out the uh, yeah, the Blanton's has been open. The Blanton's okay. has been open. So uh, yeah, right. that's that's uh, me. And, and just for a little background knowledge, I think you know Tyler. All but at least one of us, Mac, you withstanding, are all bourbon whiskey guys. I think on some level, first and foremost, we will drink other things, but I think bourbon whiskey is probably. I'm, I'm more of a dry rye person normally, but I'll indulge in a bourbon once in a while. Yeah, and, and so and most of us are whiskey people here. And then, Mac, you're probably more tequila. Uh, yeah, if, yeah, I've gotten uh, into the whiskey a little bit since we started this. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll tend to lean more towards tequila. And you actually did Suntory Toki whiskey. Not I did long. do a, a drink earlier with the Suntory Toki yes. uh, and ginger beer. I cannot for the life of me now remember what it was called. But it was good. Yeah, all right. Uh, Mac, so what are you drinking tonight in, in terms of Ode to Movies? What are you doing? So I went with an orange whip. It was kind of a drink that was brought up in uh, the Blues Brothers movies. And just kind of reading up on it, I mean, it wasn't even actually supposed to be in the movie, I guess. When Jake and Elwood were doing their uh, their performance, 
John Candy's character, who was uh, the parole officer, you know, they were sitting there waiting for him to come off stage. And I guess, you know, he just looks around, you know, refreshments, refreshments. Anybody want an orange whip? Anybody want an orange whip? And it was not even supposed to be in the movie. And I guess somebody on the set was kind of pushing those. Uh, I guess they worked for the company at the time. So it kind of made its way into the movie. Um, it is basically just orange juice, rum, vodka, and heavy cream. Blend it, pour it over ice. Tastes kind of like an orange sickle. Not quite as sweet. Not something I think I would probably drink again, though. Are you using specific rum or vodka? So, I, I again, and you and I have had this discussion, unfortunately. Uh, the rum that I did order has not arrived yet. Thank you for picking at that scab. Um, that would so be I, vodka, because I know your rum arrived. Oh, my rum. I apologize. Keep my drinking. vodka did not a little bit um my vodka has not arrived so i finished off the uh the gray goose okay. and then just used cruise and rum i did not break open the new rum yet gotcha. here's a key question if you ordered multiple shots of gray goose is it gray geese why why do oh, you guys you do that? blew my mind <laughs> <laughs> our guest our guest Deuces? right now is going uh, shots of great salt did i sign up for <laughs> i've got better things to do with hang out with these douchebags uh haas again i know you're in austria so it is late what are you drinking I'm drinking a white Russian owed to the man who's actually wearing the big Lebowski shirt. Uh, I would be wearing my dude abide shirt if it was actually here, but it's still packed up at my parents' house in Atlanta. I think most of us here love the big Lebowski. Uh, we've probably all seen it dozens of times. Yes. And uh, yeah, it was the first thing that came to my mind when you said pick a movie beverage. Um, yep. So that's what I'm drinking. You know, Russian, can't every, go wrong. every time the Eagles come on, I'm like, I hate the fucking Eagles. <laughs> 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 that scene where the captain like slams on the brakes and he like hits the brakes. Right. Out of my car! Out of my car! Right. I can tell you, Grinch. Heaven forbid if you pass away, your ashes are going in a coffee can. Good night, sweet friends. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So then I will round it out. I am drinking uh, a French seventy-five for the classic Casablanca. Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman. That's what I'm doing. I'm a you know. I do enjoy classic movies. That is one of them. A ton of quotable lines from that movie. And so I am doing the French 75 using, for me, because of what I enjoy, I'm using aviation gin. And then it is a little bit of simple syrup, which I make myself. And then uh, lemon juice and then topped with champagne. So my ode to Casablanca. So I would like to say to all of you, thank you for being here. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. Pray to God we have I'm a good show. I'm trying to find the camera. Not that it matters. I'm trying to find the camera. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> All right. So and I feel like the, ti the Tiger King is with us. Like, <laughs> it's like, good job, guys. Good job, guys. <laughs> um all right, so let's jump into it. We do have our list of questions. If we don't get through all of them, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, you know, Tyler, I don't know if you are on the clock in terms of your schedule. I want to be respectful of your time. No, I, I mean, it's either this or uh, drown myself after watching the election coverage for the last <laughs> weeks or so. So I'm all in. Whatever you want to ask. Okay. I hope right. this will be more fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, so let's do it. Haas, I'm going to let you jump us off. Let's do it. Hit the ground running. Go for it. Tyler, yeah, again, thank thank you for being here. We're super stoked to have you. Um, and, and obviously, yeah, we, we've got some, some uh, pretty 
awesome questions we're going to ask you. But to start it off, um, what exactly is the role of a film commissioner and why is that role important? Okay, so I'm going to answer this by, by giving an example. So I'm working on a Mercedes-Benz commercial right now. And I'm assuming everyone listening and everyone here in the podcast has seen a car commercial at one point and seen a car zipping around a, a corner through a downtown area or whatever it is. Um, you just can't show up to a major thoroughfare in a major metropolitan area and just close down the street for the day and say, hey, we're filming guys, this is what we're here for, and inconvenience everybody. So there needs to be someone who's handling those logistics. And it's not just just for cars, but for the sake of this, this example. So for this Mercedes-Benz commercial, we're having to close down eight major roads downtown Tampa, which is a major metropolitan area, um, for extended periods of time. Someone has to do that. They have to handle the logistics of not only the detour plans, uh, but hiring the cops and deploying the police effectively for those detours. They have to coordinate where the production is landing at, where all of the, the trucks and the equipment are staging out of, uh, and then figuring out how the day progresses. So it's, uh, it's really no different than uh, someone who works logistics in the military. We look at the needs of the production and then we facilitate those needs. And it's mostly just, just basic logistics. Where are people parking? Where's the bathrooms? Uh, where are the permits being pulled? So, um, you know, roads are just one example, but it's, it's many things that a production needs the minute they show up on a, a film set, someone has to facilitate all that. It, you know, it, it, you just can't, you know, it doesn't come out of a box and you just, you know, say, hey, surprise, we're here. You know, it, it takes weeks, if not months of pre-planning for a lot of these things. So that's what the role of a film commission is. Um, Florida's a little wonky. Uh, we have a, a film commissioner or a film liaison in every single county within the state. Most states are set up uh, to where there's either only one or two film commissions statewide. So Georgia, for example, there's a film commission in Atlanta, which is the, the state film commission. They have a subchapter in Savannah. Florida, it's every single county, which is both a good and a bad thing. But wherever you're filming, and it's not just, uh, you know, it's not just domestic here in the US, it's really anywhere in the world. There is someone that has an identical role of what I do in Tampa, just wherever they're at. They're the ones that are pulling the permits, they're coordinating everything, and they're liaising between the production and whatever government entity they're rubbing up against. And that's really the most important part. When I try to explain to people what we do, we're really translating creative film speak into governmental speak. And without someone like me in that position, you're having very creative filmmakers trying to talk to, you know, lifelong politicians and governmental employees who don't understand what the hell they're saying. Uh, and there's that weird disconnect. So we're the, the grease that keeps the mechanism running, essentially. That's really cool. Wow. Okay. So it, on that, sorry, yeah, I, jump I, in, jump in, yeah, jump in. Do you mind if I ask, is there like a, uh, I, I'm part of military guy, so I understood what you meant about here's what so-and-so saying. I take what they're saying and translate it to this. It, is there kind of like an algorithm? Uh, and I'm not trying to get into the numbers, but I'm just trying to figure out like what the economic incentive is for a city to go. Yeah, we're willing to shut down eight blocks. Uh, and then these businesses are affected. Is there kind of an algorithm of what that well, economic impact math looks like? One, we, 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 we do our best not to inconvenience anybody or as, as little as possible. That's part of our role as a film commission is to look at who is being inconvenienced and then either working with them so they're not or mitigating it as much as possible or ensuring the production compensates them correctly. So for example, uh, those 
aren't familiar with with Tampa Bay necessarily, we have a historical district called Ybor City, uh, which is think of it like Little Bourbon Street, um, just with more of a Cuban flair. Uh, we had a, a John Cena commercial where it was a one shot, one take, where he walked three city blocks down the length of, of Ybor City, which encompasses dozens and dozens of boutiques, uh, restaurants, bars, and everyone that was on that street essentially could not work that day, right? Because we've closed the entire street, we've closed the sidewalks, everything has to be pre-positioned because it's a one shot, one take. Everything has to be ready to go. You know, you can't have a, a random person walking across the street, everything has to be completely controlled for that particular shot. So we had to work with every one of the business owners and say, hey, what is your average per hour and we'll calculate how many hours we're going to need to close you down and then we're going to compensate you for that. Uh, and depending on the business, maybe it's a couple hundred dollars, maybe it's a couple thousand dollars. I'll tell you when you, you see a movie and it's taking place at a uh, gas station, those are one of the most expensive locations you can actually uh, acquire for a film shoot because you're compensating them for whatever their, their hourly take normally is. And at a gas station, that could be thousands of dollars an hour. I never want to guess that. That's no. interesting. Yeah. So, it, but as far as the economic impact, and I think that's a really important, you know, thing to understand. People don't consider how much money a a film shoot can spend in a local area and how quickly. On average, a commercial spends about a hundred thousand a day. TV series will, you know, spend about two hundred plus thousand a day. And if you're looking at something crazy like the Avengers, I mean, that could be potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. And that that's not spent on on things that aren't tangible to a local community. So for example, I had a big Louis Vuitton shoot shooting in Ebor again uh, with a crew of 125 people. They needed lunch that day. They went to a local cafe, um, uh, the bunker in this case, and they spent thousands of dollars that that particular cafe has never seen in an hour before by feeding 125 people whatever they wanted. It was carte blanche, you know, go in, order what you want, we'll compensate the, the restaurant for it. And that, that extends not just to restaurants, but hotels, crews are, are paid very, very well. We like to spend our paychecks usually locally at different attractions and bars, even something as simple as a, a dry cleaners. You know, if you have a bunch of wardrobe on set and you have multiple days, those have to be washed and cleaned almost daily or pressed. So Especially everyone really, Tampa. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and everyone, everyone, yeah, I mean, the humidity alone for Christ's sake, but like Everyone in a community has the opportunity to benefit economically from a shoot coming to their area. So uh, there isn't exactly a math to it. it. Just depends on what type of, of shoot it is, how much money they're spending overall, what their budget is. But it's it's always you know a, a good chunk of change. And again, for anyone that is being inconvenienced, we try to make it worth it their while. Yeah, I, I got you. And I was just saying. I, I know I use the term algorithm. I. I I understood what you meant. Of it's not quite that linear. It is a bit of a give and take of just what business is affected, how long, what's in our best interest. And I, cause I assume there's some give and take of like, at the end of the day, this is really in our interest to have this here in this city because the city benefits from, you know, second and third order effects of just it's visibility. Exposure, right. Oh yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. There's a lot of intangibles, whether you believe in, in film induced tourism or not. I think it's a real thing. Um, there's been plenty of studies that show uh, one in five people make up their decision to, to vacation in an area based off of a movie. I mean, look at what Lord of the Rings did to New Zealand for Christ's sake, or uh, Game of Thrones has done to, uh, to Ireland and, and Scotland and, and Iceland. For Tampa and St. Pete, it's spring breakers. <laughs> uh, we, we don't put that one on our postcards. Yeah, right. Great point. I, I mean, we were just talking about James Bond, and certainly there were scenes that are beautiful. I'm like, I'm fucking go there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, fascinating what you do. So, 
with all that being said, um, as the executive director of the film Tampa Bay, I, I guess it means you have a love for film. And so what was the catalyst uh, that led you to pursuing a career in the film industry? And I have so a love why? for healthcare. We've actually done a two-part section on healthcare, so we can totally, totally go down that rabbit hole if you want. No, no, no. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm being slightly facetious there, but not entirely. You know, the, the film industry always had an allure for me. Um, I, you know, I look back and some of my fondest memories is, you know, after the Saturday morning cartoons ended, it would always be old Westerns on Saturdays, right? And I would sit there uh, in the living room with my dad and we'd watch uh, an old John Wayne movie, you know, and I, I was always very attracted to, to films. You mentioned Casablanca earlier in your, your drink choice. You know, it's one of my favorite films. Um, I've always had a love of storytelling and movies. I just didn't realize being as, as uncreative and, and talentless as I am, that there was still a role for me within film, right? You know, you think of the director, the cinematographer, an actor, or even a writer for Christ's sake, but you're not really considering, at least most people who's consuming media don't think about this, but there's someone sitting there doing paperwork all day behind right. the scenes. There's someone that's running cable. There's someone that's, that's doing the catering. Uh, for me, it was always logistics. I, I would like to think I'm a, a, pair, a fairly common sense person which is a rare commodity in a lot of film sets, to be perfectly honest. There's a lot of creative people, but not a lot of uh, people that can problem solve in real time in a very complicated world. But that was always my role that I, I felt like I could step into. So I, I went to, to college actually originally as a Japanese history major, which uh, that, yeah, lots of jobs out there for those people. <laughs> Studying Kurosawa's film? No, no. I mean, like, I thought I was going to be a Japanese (laughs) working in, like, some archaeological dig site in Japan. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I was young. But uh, after a semester of that, I realized, like, there is just no job opportunities doing this. I'd be the one guy in a a lonely room waiting for the red phone on his desk to to ring to get the one pull quote for a History Channel, you know, documentary. Like, that would be my entire life. I had nothing else. There's no opportunities there. So... I was trying to assess, like, what else do I want to do? And I was, I was good at writing at the time. And I, I went into journalism, and that translated very quickly into screenwriting. But what I discovered very early on was that there's just not a lot of common sense on film sets. And I was looking at the, the problems people were having and saying, well, I know how to fix this. I can figure this out, guys. Uh, and I translated very quickly into more of an, uh, an office logistical role, and that then upgraded into production management and then line producing. That's cool. So with, with that being said... What does a typical day-to-day activity type situation look like for you as a film commissioner? So uh, it's, it's different every day. No two films or projects are the same, right? I mean, every script is going to call for something completely different, both good and bad. Good in that it's, it's always fun. It's a surprise to work on things. Bad that there is just no easy solution for anything, right? Uh, whatever you, problem you solved the last time around isn't necessarily going to be able to, to apply or be implemented on the next go around. So the, the average day is, is really just looking at whatever projects are coming in to market. So in, in this case, um, you know, all week I've been working on a variety of commercials. We've got a couple of feature films coming to town. Uh, I spent my morning talking with, with Andy Garcia's line producer for an upcoming movie called uh, Angel Eyes, which should be shooting here. We were going through the script, breaking it down, figuring out what kind of locations they were needing. But then, you know, life throws a, a, a wrench at you and all of a sudden there's a, a hurricane coming out of nowhere, or at least a tropical storm, right? And now I'm looking out to next week and 
there's a half dozen shoots that were scheduled for next week. And now I've got to figure out, well, how do I reschedule them? Do they want to pull the plug early? Can I find cover sets or alternatives for them? So it's not just one project. At any given time, I could be working on dozens of projects. Wow. That's very uh, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, from a logistical standpoint, you're constantly juggling you know, multiple schedules. It's not like one film comes here and that's the only film filming in this area. You probably have multiple things going on at one time. And, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, quietly, Tampa Bay is one of the uh, the premier locations in the the southeast for commercials, and that sort of makes sense if you think about it. You know, if I'm uh, a Louis Vuitton or a Mercedes Benz, and I, I'm you know corporately headquartered out of New York or Chicago, and I'm trying to do my my spring or summer commercials, but I've got to do them in advance, so I'm probably shooting in in March or April. There's snow on the ground where right. I'm at, so I've got to find a place that looks summery, and right. and we're we have the benefit of one pretty awesome weather most of the year. And, and more importantly, we're evergreen 24 seven as a community. And in Florida is, is obviously entirely evergreen 24 seven, but not all places within Florida are, are created equal, right? So Miami looks like Miami. It's very difficult to, to drive around Miami and find some place that looks like anywhere USA, right? right. There's, that Art Deco is just so, I don't want to say oppressive, but it's, it's just so noticeable. Right. Or, or Orlando, Orlando's got its own look, but Tampa, and uh, you know, you wouldn't put this on a postcard necessarily, but Tampa is one of the most ambiguous cities in the nation, right? And I live here. What are you saying? It's just such a a nondescript skyline. And that's slowly changing. There's a lot of, you know, cranes going up downtown and some new developments and buildings going up. But our architecture is, is very sort of stuck in the 1980s at street level. It could look like anywhere USA. Right. Um, you know, we have, we have areas of, of Tampa Bay like Hyde Park, which, you know, it's actually kind of hard to find a palm tree in Hyde Park. It's a lot of the old growth oaks with the, the beautiful Midwestern canopies down the street. And it's a lot of craftsman style homes and Victorian style homes. You don't find those places in a lot of, you know, areas of, of Florida. So we're uniquely positioned as a market. Not only do we have the, the weather that the rest of the state has, but we have more diversity in our locations, which makes us really appealing for commercials. In terms of the backdrop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, can go, they can go to the beach and 20 minutes, they're elsewhere and it looks completely different. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about this and, and I'm probably boring people who are listening to this who aren't from Tampa Bay, but if you dropped a pin downtown Tampa and drew a 60 mile radius around it, think about it. You have two urban cities between St. Pete and Tampa. Both yep. have vastly different looks. You have one of the best airports in the United States at, at Tampa International. You've got some of the best beaches in the world right over the bridge and you have some of the most rural areas of, of Florida in the Plant City, Thronathasa area, which is like 20 minutes outside from downtown. Find me another city, a major metropolitan area in the United States where you have that many that. diverse locations, right. nowhere else. I mean, because the beaches on Courtney Campbell Causeway are to die for. The Redneck Riviera. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tyler, I was going to ask. I mean, uh, that makes perfect sense. And it, it makes sense now that you've said it. I wouldn't have necessarily thought about that just at first blush. Is that kind of the calibrated professional eye you've developed over the years of kind of what you have and what you Yeah, are? no, I mean, it absolutely is. I mean, it's very, very deliberate. So you look at Miami. Miami has decades worth of infrastructure um, going all the way back to Miami Vice. They have studios, they have deep crews. Uh, they have the benefit of a lot of studio spaces like Telemundo and Univision. It's, it's really in, uh, ingrained in the area. You've got Orlando, which has you know, uh, the, the, the presence of both Universal and Disney, they've got a deep infrastructure of, of studio spaces, but also talent and crew. So when I took over in this role, I was really looking at the other cities that are our peers in the state and saying, well, what are they doing 
in a sort of a niche area, right? So Miami's got the the, the features and the uh, the TV series sort of locked. Uh, Disney uh, and Universal has a lot of the, the live events and a lot of the, the TV series locked. So I don't want to compete with them. I don't have the infrastructure or necessarily the talent. And not to say we don't have talented people in market, just you don't have the depth and the breadth that the larger cities do. So where can I be most effective? I looked at commercials like, well, that's low hanging fruit. We're already doing well in that segment. Like let's double down on that and try to really communicate to a variety of brands and, and corporations that, hey, you should be shooting your stuff here. And we've been hugely successful over the last couple of years just by focusing on commercials. That doesn't mean we ignore feature films or TV series, you know, uh, Tiger King being an example or the right stuff. You know, anytime we have an opportunity to develop something and bring it here, we do. It's just that we know what our bread and butter is, which is commercials. You play your strength. Yeah, Kiss, right? Can you have been yeah. stupid? Yeah. 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 genius, bro. I never would have thought of that. I mean, you know, I, I know from SCAD, you know Savannah. Savannah looks like Savannah. <laughs> and you mentioned Miami. I was thinking about it right as you said. I'm like, you know Miami as soon as you see it. Uh, but, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not, you know, maybe I'm just helping – emphasize your point but i'm not sure i can think of another city no it, I mean, it's funny Jacks jacksonville is not like tampa in terms no of jacksonville's tampa. very I, I lived in jacksonville for a while I, jacksonville's very I'm different sorry. it's interesting you mentioned scad though so i'm from the savannah college of art i went to the spanish college of art and design i lived in in savannah for a long time but we literally just had a movie uh, lady of the manor which was a justin long judy greer film that shot here right before the pandemic happened uh, that was written in the script for savannah we were able to find enough locations in tampa to make Tampa look like Savannah. That's impressive. I, I mean, yeah. that, that just shows the diversity of the locations we have. Because well, like, I find Savannah is a pretty unique city. Yeah. Yeah. You're no. like, we got Spanish moss. We got Spanish moss. <laughs> <laughs> we do, but Go you know, capture a bunch of it and just throw it on trees. <laughs> yeah. I, I know people can't see me right now, but like I'm making a square with my fingers. Like the only reality is what's in the frame for a right. movie, right? It doesn't matter what the hell is the left, the right, or above or be, below the, the frame. So if you frame a shot correctly, you're creating you your own illusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, can, it really can. Well, the, again, that's what I was gonna, about to say. Like, uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Like, nobody watching that movie would think that was filmed here. Not in a million years. No. No, no and I've yeah. lived in Tampa, and I read the books. Right. And I honestly did not instantly pick up on that. But again, it's like you're saying, the way you frame that shot dictates a lot of what they're seeing, and you can do a lot with that. So. Yeah. We we did an episode, and I know I pointed this out when I reached out to you and your team, that we did an episode about let's all go to the movies. What were your top three favorite movies? And I was curious from somebody with 20 years in the film industry, what are your top three movies and why are they your top three movies? All right. So I'm going to throw an academic one at you and then two fun ones. Yes. So the one I, I based my drink off today, Lost in Translation, I just I just love that film. It's, it's one of the most personal intimate films I've ever watched. And yet the, the entire thrust of the movie is being alone in a big city where you're just surrounded by everything. And it still feels sort of claustrophobic. Um, and I, I think that uh, is Sofia Coppola's masterpiece. Um, I'm not a huge Sofia Coppola fan, to be, be perfectly honest. I like Virgin Suicides, um, On the Rocks, which is her, her most recent one, I think is pretty good. There's a lot of duds in there. I, I wasn't a fan of Marie Antoinette or the, the Bling Ring. I mean, if you like it, you like it, but it wasn't my my thing. So the fact that she captured my attention Lost in Translation, it's a, it's a fantastic film. It spoke to me on a, a level that I, I wasn't expecting when I saw it. So it's, you know, it was the right time, the right place when I saw that movie. So that's my, uh, my academic one. I could wax poetic on that. But what I really like when someone asks me, you know, what's your, your favorite movies? And it 
probably changes depending on the time of day and how many drinks I've had. But I always go back to, to, to this conceit. If you are by yourself on a couch on a Sunday and you're clicking through the TV, doesn't matter what part of the movie you land on, you're still going to watch the rest of the movie. That's your favorite film, or at least that should be, right? It's something that you were, you were just so enmeshed with that, like, I'm just in. I'm in for the ride. I'm here to buy the ticket no matter where I'm at in the, the line. Let's go. And for me, those two are the thing. Uh, it's, it's, it is, yes. in, in my yes. opinion, <laughs> the single best horror movie ever created. Uh, this man is just, genius. You feel validated, Brent. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> can, we, can we let our guests finish, please? <laughs> no. I, 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 I love this film. The, the score is amazing. It's, it's classic John Carpenter. You have just some of the best chemistry of any ensemble cast of all time uh, in, in that, that particular film. Just the, the isolation and the, 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 the actual, the, the hard effects, they're, they're so grimy and gritty and they're, they're truly scary and they hold up, right? Because it's not city CGI, it's actually hard effects. It still right. holds up, it looks great. But it's, it's just the, the humanity that's on display in that, that film. You really feel like these are people that have, have lived in this space for a long time. And you just don't see movies like that too often. So that is, is in my top three. But I will tell you, and this is a, a guilty pleasure, my favorite film of all time is Tombstone. There's the other one. <laughs> that's two out of three. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. I, I concur with Grinch. He's a genius. It, it, man, it the man knows. The man knows. <laughs> I, I defy anyone to find a more quotable film there than Tombstone. Uh, and more importantly, speaking of ensemble casts, like that was, I, I would argue that was one of the last like true Hollywood star-driven movies where you had just uh, a cornucopia of some of the best talent for the time. Mm-hmm. And yes. they are just chewing scenery. Every scene they're trying to outact each other. I've never seen a cast try harder to inhabit a space or look like they're having more fun doing it. I love Tombstone. I mean, uh, you're not going to get any arguments here. Yeah, I think you, we're just going to spend the remainder of our time talking about these two movies. Yeah. So. I mean, you can't argue with it. You know, with a Kurt Russell, a Bill Paxton, a Sam Elliott, a Powers Booth. Uh, I mean, you've you got know, Billy Bob Thornton playing right. like a secondary or a tristiary yeah. role. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, I know. in that smoke it's wagon, <laughs> you know, you're just going to sit down there and bleed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. can, can I ask, uh, since you mentioned the thing, do you subscribe to the kind of the, I don't know if it's a fan theory or if it's been confirmed that the thing was one of the two left at the end based on being able to see the brand. You know what? Uh, for Halloween, uh, we did a, a, a marathon of the thing with my friends. So I literally just watched this the other day. I think there's enough clues and hints that at the end, Childs is probably the thing. And I don't think that McCready cares at that point. Uh, I think he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's like, fuck it. What am I going to do anyway? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Of, the, you know, of your top three, Two of your top three contain Kurt Russell. Is is there a statement there, or does that? No, mean- honestly, I I would I would one hundred percent say that is a total coincidence. Okay, you like that big hair? Yeah, you know, they <laughs> their eyes and the beard. Huh? I mean, you know, you see, see a little bit. Maybe see a little bit of yourself. Yeah, in because, uh, well, maybe uh, the thing I feel like more like Wilford Brimley these days. But. <laughs> we hear you. Though, big this. trouble in Little China. Yeah. I don't know. That didn't seem to make it into the top three. You know what? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 big but trouble would be in my, my top ten. I will tell you. But yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, if you're alone at home on a Sunday, that could be Back to the Future. It could be Ghostbusters. Like there, there's so many movies that just 
are, are just they're they're fun they're cinematic and i mean that in the the truest sense where it's it's a it's a popcorn movie but it's enjoyable you're along for the ride right. that's your favorite movie man i mean i could sit here i have a master's degree in film criticism i could sit here and, and screw around with a bunch of you know classic films or obscure kurosawa things or whatever it's whatever your popcorn movie is on a Sunday. <laughs> That's not to say I don't like Kurosawa. I do. Yeah. Okay. But I was like, your, yeah. your favorite film should be the one that no matter where you started at, you're still going to watch the rest you're gonna of it. You're going to watch it. Right. Can, can I guiltily bait you into uh, thoughts on usual suspects? Uh, I, I like usual suspects, but I will tell you, uh, similar to uh, six. I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop. I called you. it within the <laughs> first five minutes. <laughs> there, there was no surprise no, for me. No, there, I, we need to move on to the next question. It <laughs> says whatever he said right here. Edit, yeah. it's all edit, out. Edit, cut, cut, <laughs> clip it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I, Kevin Spacey's. You know, it's it's hard to watch that movie knowing what you know now. But like even Seven, like you, you got to give a person credit. He's a good actor. Yeah, and a terrible person, but a good actor. Yeah, right. and and that's a debate you could have. Is like, does the fact that he's a quality actor is, is that informed by the issues that he's had? I don't think you can discount it. But that's for obviously another topic. Doesn't I mean, you matter. You say the same thing about Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, I mean, can't say much like about being a, being a, a bit of a douche of a human, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> but he can act. And, but okay, I mean, he puts out movies apparently people like. Um, not according to the box office scores lately. Well, thank God. Yeah, there's hope. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he tanked the mummy, but anyway. <laughs> uh, Mac, why don't you so, jump in? Ask ask some questions. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of following along the lines of you know your three favorite movies. You know, my question would be, with the way society is kind of always changing, and you know, we we hope is always moving in in the right direction. We we've seen some movies over you know over the course of the last year that people are now going back and saying, well, that, that's, you know, just a terrible movie when, you know, 20 years ago when it first came out, everybody thought it was a fantastic movie. Are there one or two movies that you can think of that in your opinion have not been able to stand that test of time? Um, you know, and obviously one as an example would be like gone with the wind, you know, yeah. everybody thought it was a great movie when it came out, you look back on it now and, you know, streaming services are taking it off because of the content you know, are, are there a couple of movies that you feel haven't been able to stand the test of time? I mean, if we're talking about it, it hasn't, it's awkward to watch now because of social reasons. I mean, I can mm -hmm. do something academic yeah. like a, like Birth of the Nation, for Christ's sake. I mean, I, that's an obvious one. You mentioned Gone with the Wind or, or something, not necessarily racist, but like whitewashed and just objectively stupid, like The, the Conqueror, which was the one where, uh, 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 what's his name? Jesus. It's when you need that moment. And you I know, I know. Uh, uh, John Wayne plays a Genghis Khan. Like, I mean, that's right. a classic oh, right, one. It's right, like, right, oh, right, why, yeah. why did someone cast this? So there, there's those. But I will tell you, um, and I, I'm not thinking of this necessarily because Sean Connery just passed away, but, but some of the, the earlier Bond films, you know, as much as I love them, I really do love James Bond just as, as, as a concept and as a cinematic icon but I mean, it borders on rape most of the scenes where he's he's jumping in on a woman. And it, it, it looking back, and I'm not a prude by any means, but it's like, oh, the misogyny is a little hard to to handle to sometimes. No, that's a fantastic. I would have never thought of that. That that's a great great. Okay, so out. then I got to ask because we just did a tribute to to Sean Connery. What's your favorite James Bond? Sean Connery, of course. Okay, there you go, Haas. Take that. How you like me now? <laughs> Ooh, what, I mean, what, what, what did Haas it, pick? It's, it's okay for someone to be smart and still be wrong. 
you don't want to bash on the guests, do you? <laughs> I'm not bashing. I'm just stating a fact. Uh, who, so who, did you, okay. who did you pick? Well, but I grew up with Roger Moore, so okay. there's a sentimental attachment to them. Yes. Uh, with my father taking me to see Roger Moore every November when the Bond movies would drop every two or three years. That's what we would go see, just him and I. And so there's but there's but a sentimental value. It doesn't value make him the best uh, Bond. Not to, min- not to just mention, him- Sean Connery wasn't British. Also true. <laughs> now we're just <laughs> hey, you and your yes. logic. That, that, by the way, that's where the sign guy's going to put in crickets. He was on the mainland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sean Connery's similar... also not Russian, but I love him in Hunter <laughs> 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 We talked about that too. Yeah. Well, exactly. Thank you for putting that in perspective. That's why. Uh, in, in, in a similar vein to what Mac asked, and I don't know if comedy, you know, is kind of the the bomb that makes it acceptable. There, in just for a little bit of context, uh, my wife works at a at a small theater here in town, uh, historic theater. And somebody's like, Hey, let's put on blazing saddles. I don't think you might imagine a few folks were like, have you watched blazing saddles? Like when was the last time you saw that? Are you, you really want to put that on the screen? But, but I, I, I would argue that the blazing saddles, and I, I'm not necessarily excusing it because it's a comedy, but I think the wit and the sharpness there and the commentary still holds up so yes if you're looking at it as some kind of cultural artifact it seems a little racist here and in there but then you're not really watching the movie i mean commenting on the racism is part of the film itself yeah Um, no that makes sense i just you know I, i i think everybody cringed at the thought of being in the theater without like you're with people you're probably not going to have that conversation with that afterwards. Yeah. So everybody's just sort of dying on the inside a little bit, but, but they're trying to connect with that thought you just said, which there's actually a reverse kind of connect to the thought of racism. Like it's more sophisticated than just right. they're racists because the comedy is sort of addressing what the concern is, but no, that makes sense. There's I don't an want uncomfortable- to ask you to belabor that point. I, I understand what you're saying. There's an uncomfortability. It's like watching a movie with your parents and then a sex yes, scene comes on. Yeah, exactly. Get going, to that point. There's, oh, there's movies shit. I've now watched with my daughter that, that, you know, you get to certain points and it's like, you, you almost forgot that that was even in there. And you're like, okay, yeah. can we but, fast forward? Because every, yeah. everybody's uncomfortable. Awkward. Yeah. Well, but, and again, uh, pre-PG-13, so yeah. that line wasn't as clear. Right. You know, between three sectors of film, I mean, not including, you know, going off the deep end, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely films from like the 80s where you're like, oh, shit, like, I don't know. I mean, I forgot about that part. Yeah. <laughs> really? But, I mean, if you think of like Blazing Saddles or even the early 80s, I mean, this was not the, the, the era of home box office, right? You're not sitting there in your living room watching Netflix. Right. Um, you would make an event of it. So you'd go out with friends or a date to see a movie, and then you'd go out to dinner afterwards or whatever but you'd still be talking about the movie right so there was an expectation that you weren't just consuming it you were internalizing it and then talking about it that's how cinema has always been meant to be consumed it's only in in recent years that we just find ourselves by ourselves in our living rooms watching whatever the hell we want because of streaming services um it's a very different way of consuming media and i don't think it necessarily pushes us to confront the subject matter or talk about the subject matter and not to get too academic, but like you should, if, if a movie is worth watching, you should want to talk about the fucking movie. If, if, right. if you walk out of the movie theater, you have nothing to say about it. Then you spent the money in the wrong way. Yeah, it wasn't a, a good point. movie. It's a great point. 
Yeah. No, that because I, I don't know about you guys, but w- when I go with my family or when we've gone as friends to see movies, I mean that's the first thing you do. Like you hit that, you, you get out of the darkness and the sunlight of day. What well, did you think about this? I mean, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's the first thing we're that's doing on a car are ride, we're going to a restaurant. We're still transcending. We're still talking. Sometimes we're talking about it weeks, months, years later. Yeah. Yeah, and that's funny. why to this day I still argue Avatar is not a thing because no one walked out of the movie theater other than saying, wow, those cool effects. Like, <laughs> you immediately forget about the movie. Uh, I, Avatar I is not a thing. Uh, I never even saw Avatar. <laughs> in the the ride anymore. is pretty cool, though. Well, the be ride careful. is pretty it's cool. Not, it's not cool, but I mean... Be careful. It's, There's going to be 19 more. Of course, I'm envisioning uh, Naked Gun where they come out of, like, what is it? Platoon or Godfather and they're, like, laughing. Yes. <laughs> But no, that's, I mean, and, and we, you know, Thor, you know this, we discussed this with social media, like we've lost the ability to have a nuanced conversation and, and just normal discourse of like, right. and we, and we harp on this with, with our podcast, we call it a spirited debate. We're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to have a discussion. Yeah, it's not yeah. about winning. It's about teasing out the various aspects of the issue. And I think that's a great point about just and film we, and talking about what it's really yeah. trying to say. And the yeah, I don't know about you. I'm trying to win. No, I guess, you know, we have a conversation. We've had a conversation about movies, but then we bring someone like Tyler in. You bring an entirely different perspective we don't bring to the table. So it's interesting to hear how you approach movies versus how we approach movies. Yes, you have a love of cinema, but you still, your job informs a lot of what you do in terms of your approach to... To, to a certain extent, but you don't necessarily have to have my job to... to like movies the same way I do or, or the way you guys do. I mean, right. think about what a cult movie is, right? A cult movie exists because someone was so excited about that fucking movie that they decided to tell 10 of their friends and then their 10 friends saw it and then they decided to tell 10 more of their friends, right? So at the very basic level, cinema, if it's successful, it should push you to talk about what you just watched. And if it didn't, uh, then, you know, to throw an academic, you know, uh, reasoning out here, like James Joyce would have argued that was just pornography. It, it was something you consumed personally and the, the moment was done. What's Screw it. We're moving on. That's fair enough. Yeah. What's wrong with pornography? Well, nothing, but it's not No, it serves its purpose. No, I think <laughs> yeah. that's a It serves its purpose and then the moment is done. It Which certainly right. tees up the epic oscar were the army of darkness that haas and i are big fans of i am a it's huge right. fan of army of darkness <laughs> oh, look at we discussed it at length afterwards. I mean, <laughs> let me just go ahead it's another quotable movie from the okay we end. quoted the shit yeah. out of it it's you can't movie. see it because my background i literally have a, a book uh make love the bruce campbell way it's signed by bruce okay. so, so. nice oh, that is awesome that is okay awesome. well <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that i'm sorry tyler because of the way we do things here we're gonna change you to t-dog and you're gonna have to just be a regular <laughs> part of the show i live in tampa bay for me in terms of covid and how it's impacted the film industry like everybody stopped filming i got to imagine for you there was probably you know nobody was calling nobody was saying hey we're gonna film in tampa bay we're gonna do this we're gonna do that you know how has covid and and i hate getting on this but you know we do need to talk about it how has covid impacted tampa bay the United States, and again, from your perspective in Tampa Bay, kind of the wider discussion, how has COVID impacted Tampa Bay in terms of studios coming here, being willing to film here? You know, how has that affected things? So depending on what state you're in, and we'll talk about this at a sort of a global level, um, there was six to eight months where nothing filmed. 
nothing. Uh, filming has slowly gotten back on its feet. Um, but what people I don't think realize is that film is a very expensive endeavor and the financing of film is almost entirely predicated on the attachments, which makes sense, right? I, I'm, if I'm going to sell a movie, I'm selling it based off not the script because let's be honest, it's a widget at the end of the day. People are not buying widgets because the script's good. They're buying widgets because they think we can sell the widget, right? right. So financing is, is entirely predicated on the attachments. So they're looking at who the actors are, that's what they're investing in because the actors have a blue book value just like a, a car does. And then they, they base their sales on what they think that actor can attract to the box office or streaming service or whatever it might be. And you can imagine most actors are in a lot of demand. So when you're looking at content, you're looking at from cradle to grave for most feature projects between a year and 14 months. And you had a window to make your product, your widget, based off the availability of your actor. And the minute your actor is no longer available, guess what? You're financing left. Right. So we find ourselves in one of the strangest times, if not the strangest time in history as far as film goes, because we have now had a six to eight month, depending on where you're at, you know, window where nothing was filming. And if your project was predicated on that actor being available during those months and now he's no longer available, your project's not getting made anymore. You have to start from scratch. So it's not like COVID just halted or pushed pause on the industry. It stopped the industry. There are projects that will never see the light of day or never be finished or never be started because the attachment that the investment was, was based off of can no longer be achieved or they're gonna have to go back to square one. So it's not just that we're coming out of a dark period for film. We are, but that, that, is going to continue for months and months and months, if not potentially years, because of the way the gestation period of a project works. You just can't flip a switch and, and go back to what you were doing. You have to start from scratch again. So uh, you look at streaming services or studios or, or content providers, and they are just so content starved, they're buying anything at the moment, um, which is why you're seeing a lot of dumps of crappy movies Bar and a lot of streaming Sandler services. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. There hasn't been a good Adam Sandler movie in, in years and, Fair enough. and uncut gems notwithstanding, but there there's going to be at least a 14 month period. I think before we get back to a normal production schedule, that's assuming that there's some light at the end of the tunnel here, as far as this pandemic goes. And, and that's not going to change anytime soon. I mean, you looked at all the summer blockbusters that they, they tested the waters with, with streaming services and realized that they were not going to make, a penny off of that, like your, your Mulan's and some of the other ones that were, were direct to streaming services, they've all pushed to 2021. They just said, we're not going to try it. We spent too much money. There is no path to profitability by going through streaming services. We had to have a theatrical release. So we're pushing it. So there's people that are willing to sit on a project for another year, if not a year and a half before they release it, just because they know it's going to take that long to, to be able to make a profit off of it. So we are in a, a situation where We've never seen a content gap like this before in the history, the over 100 years that we've been making films. Uh, there's nothing like this. It, it's it's uh, the dark side of the moon. We don't know where we're at right now. It is, right. It's going to be a, a really strange period. Then how do you get back to work? Speaking of attachments, you know, if I'm making Next Avengers, and I know Robert Downey's not really involved anymore, but like if, if we need Iron Man, but Iron Man gets sick, we can't make a movie. So there, there are so many 
critical issues that we have to deal with right now where it's not just, can we get back to work? Can we get back to work safely? And then how do we get back to work safely? And if that means reducing the crew and the scope of the film, is it worth making that film anymore, right? If you're trying to make the next Iron Man movie, but you can't make it to the expectations of the audience because you just can't have the crew or the sets or, or whatever else you need because of COVID, you're not going to make the movie. You're just going to wait for it to get better till you start making that movie again. So I think you're going to see a real interesting shift in the content available. And really, if you look at the landscape, the people that are most nimble enough to, to get back to work are your low budget independent films because they've always been bootstrapped. They've always been based off of small crews, passion projects. These are the people that have a brief window in time where they're going to be able to explode and, and really get out there. I mean, uh, I'm not saying there's gonna be another Blair Witch tomorrow, but if there was ever a time that another Blair Witch could exist, it's now. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you say that. So I, I want to bring this up because you talk about, you know, studios are looking at, you know, we've spent X amount of dollars in production. We know COVID is closed down. Theaters are not open. So putting it out in wide release in theaters is a waste of time. So I wanted to ask your personal opinion. Dune was supposed to be released this year and now they pushed it off to October, 2021. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming everybody in this group, we all grew up with David Lynch's 1984 Dune as a kid, loved the movie thought it was great i'm a little older maybe it's not as great are you excited about the fact that dune is coming out and the fact that they pushed it off do you think that's necessary for a studio like that going look you've probably spent x amount of dollars you need to recoup that because i know uh villeneuve has probably signed on for multiple uh, version you know going hey yeah i mean it's it. gonna it's gonna be a, a trilogy a multi-part so. series right yeah. so going we need to make our money back on the first one or what's the point in making any more do you do you think pushing it off was a good idea? I do, and it, it the the recipe isn't right for every film. But if you were talking specifically about Dune, there are few films I think that justify a theatrical release these days, at least from an audience's perspective. But this is one of them. It's right. a spectacle film. I want to feel like I'm on, you know, Dune. I, I, right. The sandworms are proportionate to what I expect them to be, right. uh, and I'm someone who has a 75 inch TV at home. But that's still not the same level of, of, of <laughs> quality the that you, you see in a, a large movie theater. Right. But does that mean I want to watch Lost in Translation again in a movie theater? No, I'm just as happy watching that in my living room. But for movies like Dune, if you're making a movie over, let's be honest here, let's say $8 million, you need a theatrical release. Otherwise, you're not going to make your money back. There just isn't the what we call a minimum guarantee or a profitability or an upfront sale for a streaming service is that it's going to recoup your money. A lot of deals in Hollywood are based off of a theatrical release because they want the theatrical release to be something they can point back to. It helps with marketing. It helps with visibility. Um, it helps with name recognition. So if I'm Delta and I need to buy new content for my, my you know, in-flight movie series, I prefer buying something that had a theatrical release because people sitting on the plane are going to know it. They're going to feel like there's a value to sitting there watching it because like, oh yeah, I saw the trailer for this. This was in the theater three months ago or right. whatever. And if you don't have that, you don't have those deals anymore. So it's, it's a weird bottleneck. Not again, not every movie deserves a theatrical release or needs a theatrical release. But if you're spending over $8 million, you need you one to be profitable. One. Well, as I just saw the trailer the other day, tenant back in the theaters is like, 
Are you fucking kidding me? It's because they didn't make uh, enough of the first bite the of the first apple. Time. So now they're, they're pitching it as back in the theater. It's like, yeah, I, I really wanted to see that one in the theater, but it was obviously I'm not going to go out and see it. So it, it, like, and, shit. And so if I can tease in, I, I know it's another question kind of down the road, but I think it nests well with this topic is I, I, I don't know if 14 months was, you know, kind of a scientific thought uh, versus uh, a bit of just sort of speculative distance and time, but can the theaters last that long? No, uh, unequivocally, no. So your chain theaters are dying, and they will die. And I'm 100% positive of that. The industry is positive of that. Your AMCs, your Regals, they're going the way of the dodo. No, they're renting mean, out that space. What are you talking about? Well, uh, <laughs> and uh, rent it out to who? Nobody is the answer. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Theaters are not going away. We're just switching to a a previous way of distributing films. So there was a large time in American history where studios owned their own theaters. And that was busted up in the, the mid sixties for the antitrust laws saying you can't have vertical integration, you can't run everything. But a lot of those laws have, have since been challenged and successfully defeated in courts. So I think what you're gonna see, because you still need a theatrical release for certain types of movies, you're gonna see going back to the traditional Hollywood studio model where, you know, if you're Warner Brothers, you go to a Warner Brothers movie, whatever that name is. If you want to see a Disney movie, you're going to go to a Disney theater, right? And it's just the, the studios are going to end up re, re I don't know, yeah, amalgamating the theater spaces, and making them their own. I, I guess my question is, in terms of, and, and we've seen this in, in retail, that physical standing stores cost money, which is why Amazon was able to scale up so quickly. I mean, Walmart had the benefit of standing stores and now it's kind of reverse engineering back into, you know, internet. Yeah. You know, what is the, what is the, the movie version of that look like? I, I, I think it's, it's maintain that real estate that costs money. Sure. But I, I mean, you're not going to see 20 screen multiplexes. Those are going to go bye-bye, but you will see, really high end and well run four to six screen properties that are, I think linked with a particular studio or maybe multiple studios, but it's going to be one of those things where if you want to see that type of movie, you have to go to that branded theater to see it. And they're going to lean back on the, the experience where no one wants to walk into a theater and have, you know, puke on a seat or have their shoes sticking to the floor because someone dropped their soda. Like that's unacceptable. You know, you want an experience. And I think this goes back to the, the 1950s and 60s style theaters where it was a movie experience. And there's a reason why we, call, we used to call theaters movie houses, right? It, it was, it was a, or a movie palace. Like you walked in there and it was like, it was special. Like uh, for those people who live in Tampa, the Tampa theater, that's special going to Tampa theater. Or if you're in Orlando, you go to the Indian or, or wherever you're in the country, everyone has a special theater, right? That's the experience you want. It's not... 3D is not D-box bullshit. It's just quality entertainment in a space that feels special, that caters to my particular interest, whatever that might be. You know, I think alcohol is a great upsell at a theater. I think, you know, food, no one wants to have someone walking through the theater with a giant pizza, but like having quality concessions, that's a great thing. Uh, I'll tell you what, unless it's a kid's movie, I don't want to see a kid in my theater and in, in theaters that... <laughs> that have 21 or up or 18 and up, like that's the place I want to go. So I, I think you're going to see smaller, more personalized theater spaces linked to specific studios or brands. I think, I, I think you'll see a Netflix theater. I think you'll see an Amazon prime 
theater that is is, is smaller in scale, but it's going to promote those brands. That's interesting. Sorry, go ahead, Grinch. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, I mean, I know, um, you know, if I'm going to use, it's not quite the same scale, but if I'm going to use like the amusement park kind of analogy, like you can only place those where you know the market can support it consistently. Right. I guess in my mind, I'm wondering what, like, I think that works for major metropolitan areas. What does that look like for your smaller cities, smaller towns, one theater towns? I mean, and again, here example, we have one historic theater. It's got a single screen. And then we've got a Paragon that is for all intents and purposes shut down right now. And I wonder, like, I don't think there's enough here for anybody to want to invest based on what the return would be, especially if there are multiple theaters showing kind of onesie twosie films, if that makes sense. It, it does. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think smaller markets will be squeezed out and you're going to have people traveling to see a movie. Uh, hopefully that's not with an undue distance, but I think it goes back to theater going as a special experience. It's something where a family says, or you know what, next Sunday, we're getting in the family car, we're driving the next town, we're making a day of it. It's an event, right? It's not just content on demand. It goes back to what cinema traditionally was, which was an event is something that you plan your day around. And if that means driving a little further outside of town within reason, uh, I think that's what you're going to see. But I also think you're going to see companies like Amazon and Netflix investing in smaller communities because there is something to say, like people make fun of the flyover states or, you know, even that's a pejorative, but like these people consume a lot of content, a ton of content, and you're going to see people catering, which would make sense for that, that particular community. Um, you know, Amazon strategically places distribution centers based off of the buying habits of a community. And they stock those distribution centers knowing that, hey, if we get this out faster, they're going to buy more of it. And this is a product that this community consumes more of. On a regular basis, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, here in Tampa, like down Hillsborough Avenue, we've got the, we've got a drive-in movie theater. Yeah, Funland. Yes. Are, are those type of things going to start cropping up more and more because of COVID or do you think that's No, I, I, if, I honestly, I think I, I love drive-ins, I love the concept of drive-ins, but I think that was a, a truly an anomaly um, over the last couple of months where people just wanted to get the hell out of the house and that seemed like the, the easiest way to do it. Right. Um, I just don't think the experience is what theater goers really want. They want the big screen. They want the, 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 the good sound. You know, they want to feel like they're enveloped by the, the product, whatever that is they're seeing. You don't get that at the, the, the drive-in. You really don't. No. Uh, it's a fun, kitschy kind of community thing. You know, I mentioned Blair Witch earlier. I'm very good friends with Dan Myrick, who, who was the, uh, the director of Blair Witch. You know, he just made a movie called Skyman. And it was a little movie, sort of like Blair Witch, but it was the highest grossing independent film of the last six months because he released in drive-ins. Like it was this, this weird anomaly, sort of like Blair Witch was, where it just caught lightning in a bottle. I think drive-ins go back to being sort of a kitschy, weird thing. It, it's not going to catch on. Not long-term sustainable. No, not at all. Okay. Yeah, and can, I, and, and can I ask, in terms of the business model, again, I know I keep referencing the single screen theater that's here in town. They struggle to, to enter in kind of a basic common sense agreement for a film right to show it. Because, I mean, they'll still be told, yeah, I mean, we want you to show it seven times. Okay, it's, it's not fucking happening. In this environment, it's not happening. We need to show it maybe one, two times, and have move a on. quick impact, move on. And yeah. that model is still archaic, and it's not catching up. It is, and it, it's what... That, that resonates broader? 
I, I do, and I think it's something that's probably going to be adjusted. Or it doesn't have to be adjusted necessarily if we go to the model that I was suggesting where theaters are owned directly by their content producers, right? So okay. Then it's a moot point. But as far as independent cinemas, uh, it's something we call block booking. So if I want to show The Avengers later in the year, I have to agree to show X number of other movies in your release schedule X number of times, right? That's what gets me the carrot, which is The Avengers. So I'm willing to, to show a, a movie I know I'm not going to sell seats on because I'm looking at the light of the tunnel and that's, well, I'm going to get seven screenings of The Avengers in this week, whatever it is, you know, uh, and that's called block booking. I honestly don't see that changing. I just think that's the way they've always treated independent cinema, and that goes back a hundred years. They've never, never really operated outside of that 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 way of doing business. I don't think it's changing anytime soon. But I think again, it's a moot point if the theater is owned by whoever the distributor is. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I think what you're saying is the model is going to overtake that because the pain point of where where the business model change might occur is, is, is going to be overcome by just change in the theater industry writ large. Uh, yes, that's 100% correct. Okay. Well, I, I think we can all agree COVID has is, is really challenged us to look at things from a different perspective. I mean, we have to evolve. We have to adapt. We have to overcome new challenges. And, and what is – in the silver lining of COVID is that has done that to us, right? that we're now forced to adjust our thinking and ideologies and philosophies accordingly. Well, I, I think if nothing else, we realize what we can and cannot do without, right? And I think most people have said they can do without the theater, which is why you see theaters struggling to reopening, uh, right? They, they now realize that I, if I want a movie, I can probably find it somewhere online. Uh, and if that means multiple subscriptions and there was, uh, some early pushback where people were saying, well, we're, this is just cable bundling again. I'm, I'm paying just as much as I was with cable with now 12 different subscriptions. Right. But the, the reality is, is that you, you pick and choose your, your devil, right? Like you if, get carte blanche what you want. You do. Um, and quite and people, frankly, like you, I have a big TV. I have a surround sound system. I have a freaking carnival pops, popcorn maker. Yeah. You know, so I would prefer to be on my couch where I could pause and turn yeah. on closed captioning or rewind. But I, but, and I, I hope you'd agree with me. Maybe not. But like, I think there's still movies again, like going back to the Dune, right? Like you you're just, right. You there's movies. That you're right. There, there are, there's the occasion. Like I would, pre- I saw all the Lord of the Rings. I saw all the Harry Potters in the theater. Yeah. There are, you're right. There are certain movies you absolutely cannot experience, but in that place, Otherwise, it doesn't have that special. No offense, Hoss. Hair raising. You live in 300 square feet, and 80 inch TV is going to feel like a fucking theater. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm just but, saying. but I think Tyler brought up a good point too, though. It's not the same experience watching that movie at home as it is, you know, going out, making an event of it with, you know, all of your friends sitting there watching the movie, walking out, going out to the bar or the restaurant afterwards, and talking about what you just saw. You know, you don't get that when you watch it at home, right? So I, well, I think people will go back to the theaters when, when they, you know, when it's when people feel safe to do so. Right. Yeah, it well, makes, it's, it's not even that they feel safe. I think it's just literally the the government's stepping in, right? So right now yeah. it's fifty percent capacity. I, I guarantee you, if you release Dune tomorrow, and if they allowed full theaters, you'd have full theaters. Yeah, okay, one hundred percent. That's scary as fuck to think. And I was, I, I guess, I was just gonna uh, maybe tie in something else we've discussed in the past and and maybe I know you said theater I'm going to say film specifically because we we've had a discussion recently about the performing arts live performing arts like your broadways and so forth and sport I mean at the end of the day like you want to be with other humans at a at a an event 
that you connect to, you know, do you kind of see it in a similar light? Like at, at the end of the day, like you want to have that film experience with others next to you. You want to laugh. You want to be awed. You want to kind of be taken in to the moment. And, and do you think that's a powerful enough draw? Like, is it as simple as, and, and we've got a question related to this, like we get a vaccine and all is well. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, do humans still want to be in a theater with other humans having that theater experience because they just love it? So, you know, I, I'll, I'll bring this back to horror films, right? I mean, imagine sitting in your living room, watching a movie and being scared by something on a 60 inch TV, and you know, it's fake. It's just not the, the same scare. It's not the same adrenaline rush as being in a theater where you have something on a 60 foot screen and the person next to you is screaming their guts out, right? Like that, that is an emotional connection that you are not deriving from the screen itself. You're deriving from the audience, right? You are feeding off of everyone else's fear and anxiety and emotion. That's what makes a horror movie scary, right? It's all about perspective and this goes into some academic shit, but like the audience knows more than the people on screen does. That's why we're scared for them, right? We were connecting with an audience member. We know that Jason's behind the door. And if that woman opens up the door, she's getting an ax in the face. The audience knows that. And every audience member is feeling that. Same with a, a joke. A joke dies if people aren't laughing. And if you're laughing by yourself, it's just not the same like gut level laugh, right? Whereas if everyone in the audience is, is chuckling, yep. you're laughing just as hard because it's contagious. Not every movie is like that. You know, I'll go back to my, my Lost in Translation. There's no difference between seeing Lost in Translation in my living room or, or a in theater. a theater. Right. Zero. But for a lot of genres and a lot of particular movies, that movie lives or dies on a communal experience. And it, it totally changes how you view that movie. I can't tell you how many scary movies that I've jumped before because the person sitting next to me jumped. And I see that same movie at home, and I'm like, this is this is boring. What the fuck was I yeah. jumping at? Like, like yeah, that person yeah. next to me was a pussy. What the hell? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's like, it, it's a totally it's a totally about. different experience. Yeah, and that right. only works again you're for right. some some genres or certain movies, but it's it's a different experience, and it, well, it's and it's validating. Like that's the type of movie you want to see in a theater. And unfortunately, do you think that's going to change what we're going to see produced and 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 put out content wise? No, because I still go back to my, my same theory that you're going to see vertical integration where you're going to have content producers owning theater chains. Okay. And, you know, horror movies, there's a reason why most independent movies start at the horror level because they make money. money they right. make a gotcha. lot of money for very little. And they're not star-driven. Uh, yeah, you could put sure. anyone in a horror movie as long as the kills are good. No one cares. It's right. great. Uh, but you want to okay. see something like that in the theatrical level. Nobody ever went broke catering to the lowest common denominator. Never, never. Yeah. And there's a reason why horror movies do so well. Yes. Well, and, and again, I mean, a theme we've hit on in numerous settings is humans want to be around other humans. We are yes. social creatures. We cue off each other. We feed off each other. And it's just who we are. It's how we're wired. It's in our DNA. Like, we want that shared experience because we, we connect. Right. In, in, in our hearts, we want it. We, want, we still want it. I mean, I, I, like you said, I, I can queue up damn near any movie between the multiple subscriptions I have, but it's still not quite the same as knowing somebody else in that theater appreciates what we're watching the same way I do. Yeah. And you kind of know it. You just love it. And that's it, right? I mean, you know, there's a, there's a movie that made my top three Friday, which is just, a you know, to me, is a hysterical movie. I've watched it multiple times with you guys and fall out laughing. Uh, I made the mistake of trying to watch it with my wife. 
She obviously did not find it quite as funny as I did. And it's in turn, my experience kind of suffered. I I was started thinking, well, maybe that's not as funny, but then I realized, no, it was actually funny. You're "You're killing my movie experience. Exactly. So I I think that's back to, you know, what Tyler was talking about. You can't can't really judge your wife's judgment on that because she married you. Right. Well, that's fair enough. I've met his wife. No, but, but, but Max's right. Like there, there is like this idea of this a communal group think, yeah. and it's so intrinsically tied to a movie going experience for certain genres. Again, like Lost Translation, sure. but anything else like I'm feeding like ninety percent of my emotions is not based on what's on the screen. It's based on what the audience's reaction is, and we are are so in tune with other human beings that we feel everyone's emotions. Not just people next to you, but the entire auditorium Torn. becomes sort of a right. an echo chamber for those emotions. Yeah. Um, Sorry, my dog's working. Like anytime you've watched any kind of sports movie, like I mean, oh, okay, Ru- Rudy might be an exception because every time I watch that movie, I get tingles and I just get excited and I get pumped up. But if you saw that in the theater, like the entire theater is rooting for this underdog. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, speaking of sports movies, like I love a love for the game or a love for the game. It's like one of my favorite films. Uh, it's in my top 10 and it's it clear the mechanism. Like when he says that, like I cry, like, I don't know why, but like the rest of the audience is crying. So I'm crying too. Like yeah. I feel the, I, you feel the emotions more. It's amplified in a, a communal experience. And, and Thor, I, I just have one question. I think connects a few dots of what's remaining yeah, the queue, which is, you know, I, I mean, we saw Netflix was kind of the first to bring a film straight to streaming. Uh, we mentioned bright, um, we know the Irishman, you know, as you see that, and then you see, it was a miniseries, but the pop culture of the freaking Tiger King, you know, it, 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 is that kind of like, we're going to see some amalgamation of all that going forward. Like, it's going to be a little dirty. It's going to be a little unclean as this, as the industry sorts itself out, fits and starts, like one theater here, one theater there. We're seeing success in one city with it. Like you talked about the movie experience from an Amazon who can control from inception to production. Is that kind of where we're going for the uh, next, you know, 36 months? A famous quote was from William Goldwyn from MGM studios once said that uh, executives know literally Dick about anything. They don't know what's popular. They don't know what the audience is going to like. They're always chasing the tail of, popular culture right that's just how everyone operates so if the Blair Witch Project does well all of a sudden there's a bajillion found footage movies instantly because that they're all we're chasing this so you look at streaming and streaming is an interesting uh an interesting venue for for movie watching because it's all algorithm based right so if you watch one movie in your suggestion queue you're immediately going to see something that was exactly like that one movie but there's a bajillion other great films and content that you're not seeing or watching because it's not part of your algorithm. So I, I think the, the challenge with streaming going forward is how do you continually engage the audience and get away from that algorithmic formula, which I think is self-defeating because, you know, in, in a, an ocean of content, there is still that proverbial wall you're going to hit as far as the algorithm goes where you're out of content, right? Where it's just like, well, I've seen all these recommendations over and over again, but the streaming platforms are not opening up additional options for people to choose, right? So it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, 
It's COVID and I'm at the end of the internet. Right. It's very right. I've seen everything. Yeah. Where do I go from here? Well, so I, I think you're going to see um, more of a social aspect, which I think has been lacking overall in a lot of the streaming channels where it, it goes to that, that cult movie idea where there needs to be that, that watch party aspect or uh, a way for you to comment on things like an Amazon shop does where I'm not getting a, a Metacritic score. I'm getting what, what Denise thinks of this movie, what Michael thinks of this movie. And that's how I'm going to find films. And I think that's what's been lacking the last couple of years in a lot of streaming content platforms is, is, is it's all math-based. And math is wrong sometimes when it comes to personal <laughs> opinions. It does. Like, okay, I like this movie. It doesn't matter. I mean, every movie that was handheld. Like, that doesn't equate. Right. That's a computer and it's, it's, uh, it's an ability to understand humanity that is piping these things in. So I think the, the biggest issue with streaming content is how do you engage people over lengthy periods of time, which is why you see people that are, are buying Disney Plus because they like The Mandalorian and the minute they've binge watched it, they cancel their subscription. That's not good for anybody. Or they like their particular show on HBO. And as soon as they binge it, they cancel their subscription. So it's, it is incumbent upon the streaming provider themselves to figure out new ways to engage audiences. And I think this goes back to our idea of theaters where it needs to be a communal experience. Streaming platforms have to figure out how to duplicate that community experience where I'm talking to my friends, I'm letting them know what I'm watching, they understand what my review of this movie is, and we're able to communicate that in a way that's seamless. And without that, we are, are literally just standing in line for a, a roller coaster ride. And once, we, once we've ridden it once, we're bored we're with it. Right. We're done. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but like there, there's a lot of things that streaming services need to do to duplicate this, this, the theater experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that made sense. I mean, it, it's a bit of how do you, how do you walk that tightrope of connecting without becoming social media, yeah. which opens up as we, I mean, I know I'll, I'll just claim the comment myself. You never read the comment. Like, you know, you know like, like I don't give two shits what, you know, Jim from whatever thinks, you know, oh, this movie sucks. I'm like, go to hell. You know, like, I, 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 I don't know. Connect, I want to connect with the people who see the movie the same way. I yeah. Do. And I don't know if any of you are gamers, but if you look at like something like a Twitch platform, right? Like that, that, that is <gasps> where us, us, we're about to get on fire. Here. We, 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 I was about to say, we, we've got to have you back. <laughs> we look at that time. to have you back on this podcast. Oh, we're we're going to connect on discord right after this. We're going to that, that is where <laughs> streaming services should be yep. at. And they're not, yep. they should have a, a platform that is similar to a Twitch where I'm watching it. I'm talking about it. Yeah. We're all exchanging yep. the same communal experience. Yep. That's what a fucking movie theater is. It, right? so, it, it, and it comes up ask, even even to a particular gamer. It doesn't matter what, what games they play. It, you, it doesn't. You, connect, you, can, you can connect to a certain gamer like Stone Mountain 64, right? Or Thin, and, and, or Tim the Tatman. And you're attached to them, not necessarily the content in which they're streaming. All right, hold on. Matt, go ahead. What were you going to ask? No, so you know when these two get going on their gaming, you, know, you can't get an edge. No word in edge wise, right? Right. Yeah, if you want to drop off, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> so, no, the, the question I wanted to ask, um, Tyler, you hit on it uh, a few minutes ago. You know, the watch party. Uh, now, you know, I've heard of this. I've never actually done one before, which probably makes me a million years old, and I'm okay with that. Do you think that's the next platform? of the you know to replace that communal experience and will it do the same thing as being in a movie theater watching it, that? it 100% will be because okay. I think 
I'm not going to judge anyone's ages. I'm going to assume most people in this, this, this uh, <laughs> podcast is over 40. We can judge. We're good. <laughs> but, but, you know, if you're a, a millennial or a zennial coming up, you've probably been consuming content on your phone from, from day one, right? Like I was in, I think, either a sophomore or junior in college when I got my first cell phone. So like, that's how old I am. We are the, the generation that still connects with theaters. Millennials, zennials do not. They want to have that Twitch experience and there's nothing invalidating about that. In fact, I think it's, it's empowering to, to double down on that. The, the issue is, is that the industry itself is archaic. They are so far behind where technology is and where people need to be at that they haven't embraced it yet. So uh, locally, I run a, uh, uh, with, with, with two other people, uh, a cult cinema uh, series. And we normally do it in person because of COVID, we've had to switch to a, an online platform. We've been doing watch parties based off of Twitch. And it has been awesome. We've been getting a couple hundred people in a chat room. Everyone's talking about the movie. Uh, afterwards, you know, you, you literally just drop the video I, screen I, I down stop. and we start it, it talking. It kind of reminds me of Mystery Science Theater Yes, 3000. it's 100%. You know, like everyone's engaging there, yeah. at the same time. And yeah. It's not to say you're, you would have been doing the same thing in a movie theater where you're sitting there whispering to your friend about something. It's just you're doing it live. Well, and it's easier probably to do it that way because you know, uh, let's be honest. I'm the guy that's going to hit you in the back of the head because you won't shut up in a movie theater, right? But now you can still communicate and say, oh, did you see that? Or, you know, I missed this with, without, you know, well, causing one, an interruption. In 100%. The and, but, it, but it also invites a, a chat afterwards. And we're going back to the, uh, yeah. the, the Blazing Thaddle idea, right? Like, okay, it's a little awkward. But if you talk about it, all of a sudden it becomes a really interesting piece of satire right? right like we don't just show the movie afterwards we sit around for another hour talking with our audience members and engaging with them that's what cinema is supposed to be Poking that dialogue and yeah. that is literally and I, I i will die believing this that is what is missing right now from netflix this was missing from amazon prime they just are flat-footed when it comes to engaging with audiences they think content is king and it's not audience is king and right. Tyler, because you, you didn't say it this way, but I'm blending what Mac was bringing up with what you're saying, which is it isn't the movie is accessible anytime you want it. It's, it's going to be shown at this time and the live chat, should you choose to activate it, will be running on the side and you can participate and it will be followed by an open discussion of some of the things involved in the movie. And it's right. kind of, that's yeah, some, yeah. sort of the hybrid of the two. That, that, that's okay. an experience, right? Like I'm logging yep. in specifically for that. Yep. Yeah. When, when I get notifications that my favorite streamers are on streaming, I'm on chatting with people constantly about the content that they're producing. That's, that's just as engaging as the actual content itself. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I couldn't imagine it'd be quite to this scale, but one of the things we brought up in another discussion was, you know, Activision made $1.6 on microtransactions in the third quarter of last year, of this year. The content was free, but just by virtue of you elected to buy shit that was available to make that experience, and skins, guns, I got it. There's probably some variation of that within theater to a, a, a more creative extent that you could start to blend in. I'm not saying you're going to make 1.6 billion, but you could start to tie in events and then they recur. And then people are like, Oh, that, that thing's only available 
if you watch it that time, right for a show, it's just a unique something. Like you only get that. Code well, to some of these video games are doing that. Like Destiny Two, when when they transition for through certain events, there's a locked space time where they're doing transitions from one season to the next. When they're up, when they're updating from one season to the next, it's it's that window. If you miss it, you don't get to experience it again. And and they've they've crashed servers around the globe when they try to stream this stuff. Well, that's all and cool they, and stuff, but that's gaming, and we're on film. I think it's a good well, point. So we're, we, we all want to be individuals, right? That's why I'm wearing a big Lebowski shirt. That's why you're bearing, wearing your uh, You Don't Scare Me, I Have Three three Daughters shirts. Like, We made a conscious choice when we got up this morning. This is how I want to dress. This is my representation of myself. And that extends to the movie-going space. We still want to be individuals. We don't be some kind of group think. I want to express my opinion. I want to hear, well, we should hope that I want to hear your opinion as well. and want to have a discourse about that. And the reality is, I mean, people can say you're partisan this way or that way. The reality is most people want to hear what other people's opinions are. If for no other reason than to justify your own opinions or to argue your own opinions. Right. And that's it's a debate. It's a debate. Everyone right. loves debates. I mean, what's the name of this podcast? <laughs> a spirited debate. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Wait, what's happening in your branding? That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Too, um, I, I do have a question. And again, this is to pivot. I know we've talked about uh, the film industry and COVID and all that. My question, because I am a behind the camera nerd. Here comes the geek. Is, you know, from your perspective as the film commissioner for Hillsborough County, like the evolution not from a theater perspective, but a filmmaking sure. perspective. You know, two decades ago, you were doing reel-to-reel filming. Like, when they stuck a reel in a camera, it was 15 minutes of film time. They had to wait till tomorrow to look at the dailies. There was a lot going on in terms of production. Nowadays, literally, you pick this up, it shoots at 4K, 60 frames a second. Tom, Dick, Sally, fucking Jane can pick up an iPhone and film. So... What is, and I know, I, I believe you sit on the boards of GIF, right? The Gasparilla International. I do. Film hey, Festival, right? Several, yeah. So my question to you is, what is the next evolution in terms of filmmaking when anybody can just pick up an iPhone that shoots at 4K? You're, you're not required to have, you know, a, a director of photography, a camera operator, a first, a second assistant, uh, you know, camera director, grips, gaffers, boom operators. Like you can literally pick up a phone and film. So what is the evolution in terms of filmmaking? So here, here's the thing. There's a reason why in our lexicon we have a word called cinematic. You can have a great story, but if it is not visually told and told well, it is not cinematic. It is not worthy of being a movie. Maybe it's a stage play. Maybe it's something else. Right. But when we go to consume content as a movie, and this is why I think a lot of movies fail, it does not meet the threshold of what we as a human being expect the word cinematic to mean. Uh, and that's really why we're, we're telling stories in a visual way is to communicate something visually. Um, so yeah, you're right. I can pick up my cell phone and record anything. And maybe it's great for a Facebook live movie. Would I call it self or uh, cinematic? No, fuck no. No. So if you look into the future, I think technology is driving everything. No one else listening to this can see this, but I can. So like how many of you guys have seen uh, Mandalorian? All right, so everyone rose their hand for those listening. That was shot almost entirely with volumetric LED technology. Right. A guy which, standing on a stage surrounded by screens. But it's not green screen. It's not blue no. screen. You actually see it in real time. Right. And that's being driven by what? 
Haas and the Grinch. Gaming, gaming motherfuckers. Technology. Yeah, yeah. Gaming yeah. technology. Gaming technology. Was it like Happy Mushroom and Unreal Engine and yeah, some yeah, yeah. behind it? Yeah. We were finally linking the visual storytelling of the film industry with gaming in a meaningful way that's able to create things in real time. What this technology allows is that I don't have to have a $100 million budget for the Avengers to shoot on top of Mount Everest. We're in a time period now all of a sudden where if I am a student filmmaker and I have access to Unreal, which is a, a free download platform, assuming you can figure out how to use the technology. And if I have a LED volumetric studio in my, my area, which like, they're popping up literally everywhere. Right. Uh, it is the new, new, new. I can tell whatever story I want. Whereas traditionally, if I was a student filmmaker, an independent filmmaker, I was limited by my budget. Now I'm only limited by my, my imagination, which yep. is something so cool and, and just so bleeding edge that we have not even chipped the surface of what this is going to allow. Um, I mean, you look at the, the Mandalorian, which is just amazing on every technical aspect, and that is just so accessible when you realize that that was all created with an in-game engine rendering and you're able to to manipulate it in real time so if i want to make a mountain larger or smaller i do it in real time i just shrink it or expand it it it, it allows people to no longer be limited by budget it allows people to think outside of the box and create whatever they want and that is going to revolutionize not only independent filmmaking but filmmaking at large and i'm so excited for that technology to to get into more people's hands and it is i mean it's popping up literally everywhere that's awesome that's the next evolution for me yeah i I mean i i follow them on linkedin so i see when they post check out this scene we created you know whether it is i think it's happy mushroom and unreal when they they upload some of their scenes and i'm just like that's amazing absolutely amazing tyler thank you for being here kind of wrap this up a ton of great information, probably a lot more than people would expect. Really appreciate your viepoint on a number of things. From, from us, not you. Yes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie. My, my favorite episode we've done so far, Tyler. You, yeah. Amazing guest. I blown away by your breadth, the breadth and depth of your knowledge. And, base. and uh, true story, I did this all drunk. I, I drank the entirety of this bottle. So, well, well, I mean, that, that, I mean, that makes it even freaking better. <laughs> yes. right. If if you are willing to at some point come back on, I will buy you another bottle to solve that problem. Would, would love yeah, yeah. to, and yes, I'm all in gaming. If you guys want to have me back for that, <laughs> what, okay. what, what what platform are you on? A P- I'm a I'm a PC guy. So. Uh, okay, well, we can <laughs> make PC, that work. We'll, we'll PC figure it master out. race. Haas is Xbox. I'm I'm PS4 right now, but uh, we definitely get our Warzone on and uh, and get some gaming in. You, you yeah. can't see, but I have a 47 inch ultra wide, state of the art 4K screen in front. Nice. Of you. He's that nice. guy. We're, we're no, coach, and I'm okay with that. He, he, he's not wrong to go in that direction. He, he's yeah. he's no. he's 100 right to go in that direction. As much as Grinch and I move around, it's it's hard to to have that yes. kind of rig. So you know, from the group, thank you, thank you for being here. Super really appreciate you taking the amazingly time. Amazingly fun time. This has yes. been, honestly, one of the, the, the best Fridays I've ever spent. So uh, You really don't have to all. lie on our account. No, we're no. I, our <laughs> relationship. There's not a lot of opportunities. Like, we're going back to the communal theater experience, right? Yes. You want to talk to people that are excited about the same thing you're excited about. So this has been a, a true joy, guys. So thank you. As we wrap things up here, we invite all of our listeners to join in the debate by hitting up our website at aspirateddebate.com for all the latest news, drink recipes, and more. 
Feel free to follow us on Instagram, social media, at A Spirited Debate or on Twitter at Spirited Debates. As always, please feel free to drop us a line at spirideddebates at gmail.com. You can send in topics you'd like us to debate, drink recipes you'd like us to try, or just give us some general feedback to help us make the show better. And please, please do not forget to smash that follow button. Download our new debates each and every week. Until next time, from all of us here at A Spirited Debate, we'd like to say... Roast Empire. Salute Quiet. <laughs> Cheers, gentlemen. Thank you. Such a dick.